following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's, again, just a privilege to be able to uh, share this pulpit. And um, some of you may know I was sick last, last week, and I was supposed to preach. And so I am grateful for um, someone to have stepped in for me and, and actually to have one more week uh, to prepare. So as, uh, as Steve introduced, my name is Hamin, and, and I lead the, uh, the Thrive at Work ministry among the Thrive churches. And um, I was thinking back to about this time last year. And so we, we started the ministry last year. It's been, been about a year, and we've had um, a couple of different events and an opportunity to really talk more about this topic of work and faith. And, you know, my, my passion for it, my burden for it, is that I, I really believe that a robust theology of work can really embolden all believers uh, to take hold of their unique callings to serve God in their individual vocations and industries that are all represented in this church body. Um, in my last message, I, I preached on the topic of work and faith, and we had a chance to explore how God uses our workplace um, to form and, and grow us spiritually, and that we shouldn't dismiss the work experiences of our lives in our spiritual journeys. We discussed how God used 30 years of work experience to prepare Jesus for his ministry as a carpenter and builder. That as we con- and then as we continue to present ourselves to God, that he's able to use those experiences to form and grow us more into his image. Now, in developing this uh, message series, I'd like to frame our discussion on work and faith along uh, the vertical and the horizontal uh, views of the two great commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor. And so um, the first message was talking about how God uses work um, to form us. So it takes the viewpoint of God to us and how God uses work for our spiritual formation. And today's message will now view work from us to God through work and that our work is meaningful before God and an opportunity for us to give him glory and worship. And I hope in subsequent messages uh, to explore how work is used to love our neighbor and our communities, um, as well exploring work in the context of our coworkers and workplace evangelism. Uh, Amy Sherman, in a book called Kingdom Calling, uh, makes the following point uh, that resonates a lot with me. And she describes the teaching of work and faith in the church in the following way. She says, oh, can you see that okay? Most have focused on the three E's, ethics, evangelism, and excellence. Being people of good character, witnessing to our coworkers, and doing our work with excellence are all important parts of integrating faith and work. But she says, but there's much more to be said about it beyond the three E's. When we begin to understand this invitation from Jesus to join his mission of restoring all things, our enthusiasm for integrating faith and work will be heightened. 
And so before we jump into the topic of the horizontal, I'd like for us to just stay here again and reflect about the work that we do every day and how to look at it with new, fresh eyes of faith. The questions of, does God really care? Does he really care about what I do from 8 to 5? We spend roughly a, a third of our lives at work. And does he, really, does he really care about my day in and day out, work in front of the computer? As teachers and doctors and musicians and lawyers and engineers and work-at-home parents and students and artists and small business owners and business analysts, project managers, and fill in the blank with your vocation. How can I make the work that I do something that pleases God? How can my work contribute to the restoring work that was mentioned by Amy Sherman? You know, if the previous message was about not dismissing our workplace as an avenue for our spiritual growth and formation, today I would like for us to not dismiss the work itself as a vital part of our expression of faith and devotion to God. But let me, if you mind, just pray with me before we begin our time together. Let's pray. Father, all our lives, you have been faithful. All our lives, you have been so, so good. And God, we affirm um, just your love for us this day. And Father, we want to now take this topic of work, a big portion of our lives, and and. Again, bring it, bring it before you. We ask that, Lord, you would use your word to speak to us and to challenge us and to allow for us to not compartmentalize our lives in such a way that we have our lives devoted to you at church and then we have our regular lives, but that all of our lives will be given unto you. And so towards that end, would you lead and convict us today? We depend upon you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Hebrew word for work uh, is avoda, and it literally means work, worship, and service. And for us, while we separate those terms into three concepts, the word avoda in scripture is a very powerful reminder that God views work as integrated into the way that we relate to both God and to our fellow man. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, it says, Six days you shall work or avoda. In Psalm chapter 104, verse 23, it says, Man goes out to his work, avoda, and to his labor until the evening. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship or avoda me. And in a, in a very... Uh, Common verse for a lot of us, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But as for me and my household, we will serve or avoda the Lord. In this way, just as the two greatest commandments in our life is to love God with all our hearts, minds, and soul and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, God teaches the Israelites that work is simply an active expression of love towards God and towards one another. But for a lot of us, um, viewing work as a voda or viewing work as worship and love is difficult because perhaps in our lives that we have learned to associate work with toil and hardship. You know, when we think of work, uh, work 
Perhaps we see it in light of Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, when Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed uh, creation. It reads, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Perhaps you associate work in these terms. And, you know, just this past Friday I got an instant message at work from a random coworker. And I don't know if you've gotten this in your work experience, but it just had four letters, TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday. Uh, and in my near 20 years of corporate life, I've, I, there's probably been not a couple of weeks that has gone by where someone has brought that up to me and said that to me in some context or maybe in a meeting. You know, and I, I've noticed on my train ride to Metra on Monday mornings that people look just so, so depressed. Uh, uh, but people, if you, if you notice the difference between Monday morning and the Friday train ride home, it's such a drastic difference. People are drinking beer. And, you know, they're just having such a great time. And, you know, in, in the world today, we, we think a world as toil and hardship, and we associate it with that. You know, as well, perhaps in your upbringing and in your family experience at work, that that has also tainted your view of, of how you think and emotionally connect with work. Maybe it's a reminder of the scarcity in this world or something that is a big burden if you're like me, uh, you grew up in a home where you, perhaps you watched your parents struggle or you, they worked long hours. They were away from home, maybe during your formative years. I grew up as a latchkey kid uh, with my sister, and my parents regularly came home at, at 9 p.m. I tell this funny story that we, we are like conditioned, you know, um, when the sound of a garage went off, to immediately run upstairs and pretend like I was playing violin. <laughs> And my, and my sister would immediately jump to the piano. Um, but that was our, our, our life. Uh, we were used to our parents working late. And when they got home, they were tired and didn't have much energy to do anything. And I accepted it. I, I was okay with it. Maybe for some of us, due to your financial situation, you were forced to work alongside your parents, having to man the store to sacrifice your Saturdays with friends because you had to help out. And you maybe grew up with some resentment for the responsibility that was put on you at a young age. And so when you read Genesis 3, you say, amen, work is toil. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when we read the story, there's, an, there's a new picture that is painted, an entirely new picture of work that is painted in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the very first picture of God, and he is at work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first picture we are introduced of God is God at work. We also see in verse 9, it says, that God says it was good. We see God enjoying work. The work of creation in Genesis chapter 1, while encapsulated in just 31 verses, 
entail a mind-blowing execution of creative work that can be broken down into many, many different aspects of God's power in action. Raymond Bystrom, in his article, God as Worker, writes, In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God wears no end of occupational hats, strategic planner, designer, civil engineer, real estate developer, project manager, waste manager, and many more. We see many, many facets of God being capable and proficient in his work. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we see God commission Adam and Eve to subdue the earth and to have dominion over it, being his image bearer throughout the earth. It says, and God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then later on, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he commissions them to work. He commissions Adam to to work and keep the garden. In so doing, God invites Adam and Eve to the work that he started in Genesis chapter 1, sharing in the work of building civilization and societies that reflect the glory and creativity and goodness and justice and beauty of God. That is the picture we see. J.D. Greer, in his book, Gaining by Losing, Says, observes the following thing about, about Genesis 1 and 2. He says, God created the world, you see, in an imperfect state, which things love to do to perfect it. Good is good, but good is not perfect. Perfect means cannot be approved upon. Good means that the raw material is good, even if there are improvements that can be done. It was, God is, was completely able to finish the work of creation and then plop Adam and Eve into it. But he doesn't. He leaves it as a garden with raw materials. And he invites Adam and Eve to co, co-work with him, co-partner with him, steward over creation, and enjoy the work that he started in Genesis chapter 1. In his joy and love, God does not complete the work of building culture and society, but he invites man into co-partnering with him to bring peace and order and justice and abundance and beauty to creation. You know, during our, um, <clears throat> our time in California, um, when our kids were young, uh, we, uh, we noticed that our second son, Josiah, was quite different from our first son, and uh, he had different interests. And so through some recommendations from friends, we enrolled him. We said, let's try out Cub Scouts for this guy. And if you uh, have been in Cub Scouts, I was for a year, <laughs> the, um, there is the highlight. Do you guys know what the highlight event of the year for Cub Scouts is? Yeah, it's the Pinewood Derby. Uh, the Pinewood Derby. And uh, it is basically every Cub Scout gets this box of, of wood and wheels, pretty much. And uh, you're supposed to work with you know, your child to, uh, to now create a, a little car that will they'll race down a track. I don't, I don't know if you can see. Um, and basically, they, they have trophies for those that, you know, win, are the fastest car down this track. And so, um, Josiah and I, we, we started this project with a ton of enthusiasm. You know, I, I researched and Googled how to win the Pine Derby. 
And uh, I spent like $50 buying stuff for this, you know, like weights and plastic engines. And, you know, I, I just, I wanted to win. I really wanted to win. I wanted our car to look really nice. And I wish that this story was, was, a, was a story of how I imitated God with Adam and Eve, you know, co-working to, you know, to do something beautiful together. But sad to say, my ambition to win <laughs> and the fact that my seven-year-old son disregarded the wise and discerning expertise of his father, it, I quickly uh, took over the project and uh, basically did all the work myself. <laughs> and I'm sad to say, say that while we started on a good note, you know, um, the car that you see up there was, was my creation. I, I pretty much, the only thing I let him do was paint it, I think. It's the only thing I let him do. Um, and the stickers, the plastic motors, you can't see it, but there's a quarter that I super glued to the top because it adds more weight. <laughs> and underneath it, there are these weights that I bought that you... Anyways, so <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really focused on winning and completely missed the whole reason why we were supposed to do this. That picture of Josiah holding the car is um, one of the few, few times I actually let him hold it. <laughs> Don't do what I, what I thought. That is not a picture of what God does in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God calls man into fellowship with him, to co-work, and, and to be part of the joy of, of doing work together. And that is the picture. And in, Paul says later on, as he reflects on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers. I think I found the verse for Thrive at Work. This is it. We are God's fellow workers. God invites us to work with him and to share in the joy of work. And so I ask you today, what is your view of work? Is it Genesis 2 or Genesis 3? Do you think of it as a curse? or as a, as a sacred stewardship over creation. Scripture reminds us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And our view of work also needs to be transformed, to, to realize that it is inherently good, created before and not as a result of the fall. And it is an invitation to partake in a co-working fellowship with God where God invites us to labor together with him. You know, some of you might say that, you know, that sounds all good and fine, Haman, on principle, but, you know, in the real world where I live, I don't see how I can connect what I do really specifically to worship or even with fellowship with God. And perhaps if you're really honest, you'll say that, your current job that you're in maybe not, may not be your true passion. Maybe it's just a paycheck, you know, for survival. And maybe, maybe in your mind you think, hey, you know, for certain jobs like doctors and nurses and firefighters and teachers, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But in my life as a, a 
as a lawyer or as an accountant or in business or sales or day trading or stay-at-home parenting, I just don't see how this comes together. You know, I work for a company where um, sometimes it feels like, you know, we're just focused at times on making a profit. Maybe, maybe you felt that at times, the company you work for or the, the organization that you're part of is, is just focused on a meaningless product that we're peddling out there or it's just to enrich certain stakeholders. I won't acknowledge this emotion because I felt these emotions in my work life. And there are times when work does feel like a curse and that it, it, it is difficult to connect my faith and ideals in this very dark place at times. You know, there's a concept in, uh, in the movement of work and faith called uh, the redemptive edge. And I want to introduce it to you today because it's made an impact in the way that I think. The redemptive edge is exactly this place in our lives where we are dealing with the reality of the curse of sin and darkness in our lives and society, and yet we're trying to apply and live out the promises of God, and it's a very confusing place. And this, this is the, it's, it's this place, this redemptive edge, it's a place where there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, and yet we are, we are wrestling with, with the questions of how do I apply my faith in this context? Uh, one working faith ministry based out of New York describes the redemptive edge in the following way. The redemptive edge is far past the concern and criticism of others. It's where light and darkness meet. It's the trench warfare in the spiritual realm. This is where the majority of Jesus' ministry took place. This is the locus for activity in the kingdom of God. I love that phrase. It's a trench warfare in the spiritual realm. And oftentimes, it is in our workplaces and not in church where we are at that redemptive edge. Where we have to wrestle with how do I now apply my faith in this context? You know, um, the redemptive edge reminds me of a conversation I had with, with a dear brother of mine when I was in Los Angeles, when we were in Los Angeles, where he was sharing with me how he was so convicted. He felt called by God to, um, to basically make it in Hollywood. And, and he was committed brother of Christ. And we, we talked for hours about all the situations he was placed in and how difficult some of those situations were for him as he tried to figure out how to advance his career and yet still hold on to his faith and his belief. And now that I think back to those conversations, I realized he was at the redemptive edge in his conviction to work in the entertainment industry, to to be light and salt in that place. He was at the redemptive edge. The redemptive edge is exactly where God calls us to go to so that we can serve the purpose of shining light in a dark and gloomy place. Now, by dark and gloomy, I don't necessarily mean that it has to be a, you know, you're fighting evil or injustice. The darkness and gloominess may just be the monotony of your job. It might be just unclear purposes of why you think God has placed you in that place in this time. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The redemptive edge is those dark places that we are called to go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. There's a story uh, that comes from a book called Futureville by Sky Chidani. And he talks about the cellist of Sarajevo. On May 28, 1992, the principal cellist in the Sarajevo opera dressed in his formal black tails and sat down on a fire-scorched chair in a bomb crater to play Albinoni's Adagio in G minor. The site was outside a bakery in Smajlovic's neighborhood where 22 people waiting in line for bread where 22 people waiting in line for bread had been killed the previous day. During the siege of Sarajevo from 1992 to 1995, more than 10,000 people were killed. The citizens lived in constant fear of shelling and snipers while struggling each day to find food and water. Smajlovic's lived near one of the few working bakeries where a long line of people had been gathered when a shell exploded. He rushed to the scene and was overcome with grief at the carnage. So for the next 22 days, one for each victim of the bombing, he decided to challenge the ugliness of war with his only weapon, beauty. Known as a cellist of Sarajevo, Smajlovic not only performed outside the bakery, but continued to unleash the beauty of his music in graveyards, at funerals, in the rubble of buildings, and in the sniper-infested streets. He says, I never stopped playing music throughout the siege, he said. My weapon was my cello. Although completely vulnerable, Smajlovic was never shot. It was as if the beauty of his presence repelled the violence of war. His music created an oasis amid the horror. It offered hope to the people of Sarajevo and a vision of beauty to the soldiers who were destroying the city. This story is, a, is, is just an example of how our work, through the work that we do, that it could display the, the truths of God, the beauty of God. And I've thought long and hard, even in my own position, in my own job, how do I, how do I get to the redemptive edge? You know, um, as, the, as a product owner of, a, of a, a product in Medicare called Medicare Supplement, I, I, we have over 620,000 uh, seniors who purchase our product across five states. And, and it made a, over a billion in revenue last year and brought in uh, a net income of about $105 million to the bottom line for my company. Uh, I spend about 80% of my time at work in meetings and conference calls. 
my, my wife and my friends make fun of my voice when I get on conference calls because it's different from my regular voice. Um, and I, I spend most of my time res- responding to emails and reviewing documents in the exciting world of Microsoft Excel, Word, and PowerPoint. So how am I finding my redemptive edge in these areas? Well, for me, um, I have found the redemptive edge by championing a product strategy that doesn't mimic some of the pricing tactics that I see some of our competitors using. Some of our competitors will trap seniors with low premiums. And I'm going to use insurance, health insurance terms here. But they trap seniors with low premiums initially and then they'll raise rates once they're in. But once you're in a plan then, and you miss what they call the, a guaranteed issue window, in order to leave, you have to go through medical underwriting and, and additional screening. And sometimes you can't get insurance, and so you're trapped. So I, I, have, I have advocated and I have pushed for a strategy where we... We set as low rates as possible, but we, we keep our rates constant in terms of our increases every year. Because I'm thinking about the seniors that, that I'm responsible for, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to use my role to express my faith in this context. And I, I believe that there are all kinds of opportunities that we can find in our work, in our individual vocations, where you are also able to express your faith the principles that you have learned in Scripture in ways and so that you can love your neighbor and be able to, through your work, not only do good, but make it an opportunity to worship God and honor him through what you do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Finally, I just want to end with uh, a last thought, and I I believe it to be um, the most important in that when we work with faith, when we do our work with faith, we realize that God was already at work before we even came into the picture. We realize that God was already at work before we came into the picture. You know, Scripture is filled with stories of, of men and women who came to the realization that God had already been at work behind the scenes, orchestrating a plan, a sovereign plan that was beyond them. We, we hear about the story of Joseph and Nehemiah and Daniel. But the story of Esther, especially, is a story that I, I want to end with because it is it's probably the most applicable, you know, as we talk about this idea of work and faith. You know, the, the book of Esther is, is very unique in that, in that it's the only book in the Bible where there's not one mention of God. The word Yahweh does not appear at one time throughout the whole book of Esther. And in the same way, you know, our workplaces can be places where God is, mention of God is restricted. And there is a general resistance from anything that comes from a Christian worldview. You know, Esther is a, is a forgotten orphan girl that's living in exile. 
in the care of our uncle, and yet God orchestrates events in such a way to elevate Esther to be queen so that she would be in this unique position to save the Jews from a genocide at the hand of a man named Haman, which has no relation to my name, Haman. (laughs) Even though my wife's name is Esther. (laughs) Timothy Leniak uh, writes about the book of Esther. He says this. He says, It is not so much the presence of God, but the hiddenness of God in human events that the story of Esther articulates. To be hidden is to be present, yet unseen. What is visible is only the human side of the story. Perceiving something beyond or behind takes faith. To be hidden is to be present, yet unseen. And the the most important motivation for infusing our faith into our work lives is that we discover God has been present all along. And that he is actively working to bring redemption to all corners of society. Just like Esther and just like the the boy who offered Christ five loaves of bread and two fish. God is, when when we go to God with our small acts of faith and work, we realize that God is doing something even greater through what we're doing to accomplish his sovereign plan. When we work with faith, we discover a God who has been working all along, and we gladly join him as the redeeming power of the resurrection is unleashed not only in the redemption of souls, but in the redemption of society. So that Our society continues to be redeemed until the final day of consummation found in Revelation when he promises, when Christ promises that night will be no more and the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 reminds us, but if from there you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. But from there, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. And so let me encourage us this day to seek God in the workplace. And you will find that he is already there, already present. It may be part of your testimony of the goodness of God that flows from your work. Let's pray. Father, it is my prayer uh, that each of us would take our work and, and that we would offer it to you as a, as a, as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and pleasing to you, and that it would be a sweet aroma to your throne, that we would not take this big portion of our lives and and drive it through our own, our own human power, our own human strength. But along with all aspects of our faith, that we would, we would infuse our desire to want to please you and to honor you through our work. And Father, may you be pleased. May you be pleased with our hearts as we go into Monday morning. 
May you take our, may you take our small acts of faith as we love the people that we serve and we work with, as we do our work with excellence, but even through our work that we would, we would desire that you would take our work and you would use it for the work of redemption across all society. And so, Father, give us um, wisdom, give us guidance on how to do that. We, we confess to you that it is confusing and difficult, but you are able to give us wisdom as we ask. So, Lord, we depend upon you. And we ask that, Lord, you would strengthen our feeble knees and allow for us to, to rise, to want to serve you with all of ourselves. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray.